You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, with another episode of the Seeking Excellence podcast. And it is just wonderful to be with you today. I am excited to get into today's topic. If you haven't listened to the last the last solo episode, which was What's the Best Way to Live, I highly encourage you to start with that. Because what I'm trying to do here is go through a series of just kind of breaking down, almost like lessons um, and, and uh, you know, things that are meant to build on top of each other, right? So building out what is the Seeking Excellence philosophy? What does it mean? What does it look like? How does it play out in real life? And so today we're going to be talking about mental excellence and what mental excellence looks like. To kind of lay the groundwork again, just as kind of a refresher from last week of things that I think are relevant to this discussion, is, you know, we often in the church and in life in general, we never set targets because of the fact that so often targets make people feel bad, we come up in this, uh, you know, uh, participation trophy kind of jo- uh, age, and um, a lot of us are just kind of used to that. We want people to make us feel good, and when we have targets or standards, especially once those kind of become exclusionary, then we feel bad, makes us feel like, oh, you're not a real Catholic if you don't do X, Y, or Z. And so that's why I kind of like this approach to excellence. Because I'm not saying that this is the bare minimum it takes to be Catholic or to be a decent person, to be a good person. But I think these are kind of the standards and levels we should shoot for. Right? So God obviously entrusts us with a mind. So we have a mind, we have a brain. And what do we do with that? Right? How are we good stewards of that? If you think about the general American approach to this, it kind of goes like you're in preschool, you go to grade school, high school, you graduate. The new kind of minimum standard in society oftentimes has been uh, an undergraduate degree. So going to college. College is now kind of elevated to like a master's degree is now kind of that next level of like you have higher education because so many people are going to college. And then there's the PhD, which many people claim is kind of a nonsensical degree, but uh, some people think it's great. Some people love it. Uh, Some people think it's foolish. I've heard mixed reviews from people who have PhDs and who don't. But the worst thing that happens in our society, I think, to a certain degree is we believe that education and educational system is like not just the prioritized or the, the peak of education, but we treat it as though it's like the only form of valid and real education. And this, I think, is a real issue because I think that both stems from and builds to our very toxic approach in this really damaging and self-limiting belief that your education is complete once you graduate for the last time. So whether you only graduate from high school or if you graduate from college or if you graduate with your master's, whatever it is, it's like from that point on, you're pretty much done. The only thing you might go on to continue to try to learn about is professional development in your respective field. Obviously, there's lots of conferences and things like that for people who are looking to kind of grow in their uh, profession, right? In your professional life. And we're going to do a whole episode on professional excellence and um, what that kind of looks like. But I think one of the biggest problems that we have is um, this cap that we put on our education, the formation of our mind. And what's really interesting with that, and what we'll kind of get into today, 
is we have this kind of obsession nowadays, um, somewhat positive, I think. It, it becomes negative when it gets uh, totally secularized, but our obsession and our commitment to uh, mental health, which is really great. I talk to a lot of Catholic school leaders on a regular basis through my job, through my day job, and I know that it's a real priority for them, right? They often talk about it. They're often worried about it. They wonder how our product and our partnership, how we can help them to enhance and improve the mental health of both their students and their teachers. And so I know that this is a really important thing for young people and people of all ages. You know, you've heard a lot of self-care, self-help, self-love, mental health days, right? Like all this kind of thing. But to, to take away, and what I'm going to try to paint today is I draw an analogy between, that I think is really fitting, between the body and the mind, um, you're going to see how when we cut ourselves off from certain aspects of continuing to push our mind, continuing to develop our mind, um, we really cut ourselves off, I think, from one of the, the biggest avenues that can bring in good mental health into our lives. And so I want to start, you know, I, I break down mental excellence into four main categories. And so you're going to continue to hear about these. Um, or, or in each, each, each pillar of excellence, right? So there's seven pillars of excellence. There's a recap, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, professional, financial, and social. Each pillar of excellence has subcategories that break down underneath it, right? And so I think you can give yourself kind of a grade of one to 10 in each of the pillars of, of excellence. You can kind of start to feel out like which are my top two, three, four that I am really good at, the ones that I'm most interested in, the one I feel most naturally comes to me. And then you might have a few, you know, that you're like, I really struggle in this, or I've been really neglecting this, or I really am not interested in learning about finance or fitness or the spiritual life, whatever it might be. But my four subcategories that I have for mental excellence are mental health, mental toughness, being a lifelong learner and mindset. And so I'm actually going to kind of go through those in pretty much reverse order. And so let's start with mindset. There's a great book by Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck, PhD, about, uh, it's called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. Subtitle is How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential. And so she breaks this down into parenting, business, school, and relationships. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, I like all of those things. I like parenting, business, school, and relationships. Um, but one thing that's really important here when it comes to mindset, she basically says there's two different mindsets. You have the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. She's far from the first or the only person to discuss this, so you've probably heard those terms before. But just as kind of a quick general overview, I'm going to read from the book and her definition what those two things mean. So here, reading from the book, she says, Believing that your qualities are carved in stone, the fixed mindset, creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over. If you have only a certain amount of intelligence, a certain personality, and a certain moral character, well, then you better prove that you have a healthy dose of them. It simply wouldn't do to look or feel deficient in those most basic characteristics. And then the growth mindset is based on, this is a quote from the book, is based on the belief that your basic qualities are things you can cultivate through your efforts, your strategies, and help from others. Although people may differ in every which way, in their initial talents and aptitudes, interests, or temperaments, everyone can change and grow through application and experience. Then she goes on, I think this is, this is really important. So I want to hit on something there, especially coming from the fixed mindset. This desire or this need to prove yourself over and over and over again. This is kind of like people-pleasing, right? I think, of, I think I have been really blessed over the years to really start to adopt the growth mindset. And I think it's been hugely beneficial in my life. I think about the ways that I've kind of released myself from the way other people view me or the limitations they might put on me, or even times where you disappoint and you hurt people, right? You changing this belief inside yourself allows you to be more free from that because you know that if you make a mistake or if you do something or if you're a bad friend for a period of time or bad husband or parent, bad son or daughter, you know that you can grow and you can change. I think that some of the worst people in the world are people who think that we can't change, right? That people are just stuck the way that they are. 
Those people live with very little forgiveness in their hearts, in their relationships, and they're very, very hard on themselves, which leads to them being even harder and more negative towards other people. So this, this, this shift in mindset can take you from uh, being negative towards other people and yourself, which that's a reciprocal cycle of negativity, into being um, a believer in yourself, a believer in other people, and their ability to change, not necessarily their desire to change. And so that's one of the key caveats, I think, as well, is that you have to believe, and we ought to believe as Catholics, as humans, that people can grow and people can change. But that doesn't mean everybody wants to. So I think that most specifically applies to like dating, family relationships, and friendships, where if somebody continuously, you know, it's kind of like that quote where if somebody shows you who they are, believe them, right? If somebody's consistently showing you that they're going to cheat on you, emotionally manipulate you, you know, take from you and never give, like in a reciprocal relationship, um, like you have to believe that, right? At a certain point, people are really just showing you who they are, and you ought to accept that. Now, I want to continue on here after she talks about the growth mindset to read something I think is really important. Uh, Dr. Dweck says, do people with this mindset, that being the growth mindset, believe that anyone can be anything, that anyone with proper motivation or education can become Einstein or Beethoven? No, but they believe that a person's true potential is unknown and probably unknowable, that it's impossible to foresee what can be accomplished with years of passion, toil, and training. Okay, so that I think is is really, really key because it comes to this growth mindset where it's like, well, you just think this kind of like progressive utopia where it's like you think anybody can be anything. And it's like, no, we obviously have our limitations. We have biological limitations. We have intellectual limitations. Not everybody's going to, it doesn't mean you can work your way into the top 0.1% in every category of life with enough time and, and dedication and consistency. What it means is that you have capacity which you have not used yet. You have potential, which you have not yet fulfilled. And that, even if false, is a better way to live your life. Even if it's wrong, you might as well believe it because it's better to believe that you're capable of doing more, of growing more, of being more than it is to believe that you're just totally fixing where you are. And this is one of the biggest dangers, I think, with a lot of the personality tests and, and stuff like that that you see constantly just becoming more and more popular in our world today. They can be really, really helpful. My personal favorite of them, if I had to recommend you to buy and use any of them, it's Strength Finders. I think Strength Finders is absolutely amazing. And what Strength Finders is really good at is it gives you your strengths in an order. And so your top five and your bottom five are the most useful. But kind of seeing that like six through 10 are the ones that you're kind of like decent at that you could really start to like improve and incorporate in your life more. I love that because we all just have natural strengths and natural weaknesses, right? And it kind of shows you and demonstrates, if you answer honestly, what those are for you. And that can be really helpful for your teammates and people you're working with to know as well, your spouse. But I think what can be really challenging with like the Myers-Briggs or, you know, the four main temperaments and that kind of stuff is that people usually will use that as an excuse to be bad. Whereas I feel like Strength Finders gives you practical ways to kind of shore up your weaknesses. So it's like pound your strengths and shore up your weaknesses enough that they're not going to drag you down and counteract your strengths, basically. And that's what any good approach to any of the temperaments or personality tests and things should be. But a lot of times what people use them as is an excuse to be weak, scared, fearful, uh, paranoid, and anxious, like all these things that have nothing to do with virtue, nothing to do with holiness. If, if you are committing yourself to being something that's negative because of a test that you took online, um, that's, that's dumb. So that's, <laughs> that's the basic math on that, right? So if you're, if you're putting yourself in a box and that box is, especially if that box is negative, stop it. Slap yourself and throw that, throw that away, right? So we're going to come to this with a growth mindset. We believe that in all, you have to come to seeking excellence with a growth mindset, right? If you come into this and you think, oh, I can never be more fit. I can never be smarter. I can never be holier. I can never be more financially sound and disciplined. I can never be, uh, have better relationships. I'm worthy. Like just, just go find to me, to me, that's, that's weakness. I don't believe that there's anything, uh, else other than, I mean, if you're talking about like years and years of trauma, like true trauma, like you were like, a 
a sex slave or, you know, like I'm talking extreme circumstances, like really, really abusive home, then you need therapy to go through that. If you just had a pretty normal life and you believe all those negative things, like, I don't know where to tell you to go, but this probably isn't for you, right? Because I I like to be, and I, I kind of I missed talking about this last week, but I kind of view myself and the voice that I try to take as a speaker, as a writer, as a podcaster, is that form and that view as like your older brother, right? I want to be that that loving older brother that cares about you enough to tell you the truth, that cares about you enough to kind of kick you in the ass a little bit when you need it. And that's not going to sugarcoat things to the point to your, like to the extent that it actually is detrimental to what you need to hear and to your life, to your mind, heart, and soul and your relationships and all the people that are, are under your care and your stewardship. Right. I think that you deserve more than that. I think you deserve better than that. And there's certain people in life who just can't take that. And I just can't take them. And so <laughs> if that is you, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying you're bad or that you suck or anything like that, but you just probably don't want to listen to me, right? If you're if you're kind of like a soft-skinned person that can't really take uh opposing opinions or uh, you know, like strong motivation and encouragement and somebody who's challenging you to higher standards and to be better, then this just probably isn't for you. And that's okay. Um, there's plenty of good Catholic things out there who will tell you you're uh, a nice, shining, sparkly star. Um, I think those things abound. I think what we don't have enough of is people who are willing to tell you the truth and willing to call you to a higher level. And that's what I've always wanted. So that's a, a lot of times, too, with this podcast of what I've tried to do is like, I think of what message do I need to hear? What message do I want to hear? What message and, and sound and, and thought and topic do I need to dive deeper into? And then I just try to share that with other people who, who enjoy listening to me ramble about said topics. And so we have to come to this, guys, with a growth mindset. And, and I do think that it's, it's as easy as, I don't know how much she talks about it, you know, how you can kind of shift from one mindset to another. But for me in my life, it was kind of just like understanding the science behind it. So this book is really helpful because it breaks down the science for you. So if you're a logical person, um, yeah, she's got a bunch of stuff in here in chapter eight, the last chapter of like how to change. I don't know if I even read to that part um, because I don't really feel like I really struggled with that as much. Um, but one thing that she does say is that change is gradual. So I will admit to that. While I think that you commit to it and you logically commit to it first, it obviously takes time to like rewire your brain. And change your approach to these things. I think about this. I get on my kids. I coach basketball for 7th and 8th grade boys. I, I think about it with my wife, with friends, um, with people I speak through through this podcast and speaking events. I hate people's. I hate hearing. Not hate people. That sounded really bad. I hate hearing people say, I can't do stuff. Especially things that you like very well can do. right? Or I'm bad. Or I suck so bad. Or... Like, stop saying that shit. It's not that hard to stop saying it. One thing that's really helped me with that kind of stuff, um, which is funny because I just cursed, is to stop cursing. And maybe for you, it's not stopping cursing. Maybe for you, it's stopping saying something else. But for me, when I stop cursing, which I'm going to do, I think at least for Lent, maybe with Exodus 90, um, is the, when I stop cursing, it forces me to think through everything that I'm saying before I say it. Right. And so maybe there's some other thing you can you can incorporate with that. But I remembered I would do it every year in college for Lent. I would give up cursing. And we would have like a 10 push-up uh kind of like penalty if you cursed. Because I would always do it with my friends. And it's really awesome because you have a penalty to it and it really makes you stop and think before you speak. And that's what helped me to rid myself of a lot of these other negative kind of patterns and speech patterns that I had. I'm talking to my kids. Oh, I just can't. I can't dribble with two with two hands, or I can't dribble with my left hand. Stop saying that. You know, like you when I do. I truly believe that when you say things like that, you convince yourself that it's true, and you're just making it harder for you to do it in the future. You can say I'm not good at it, or I'm still working on it, or I'm struggling with it, but focus on how you're getting better at it and what you can do to fix it. This is one of the biggest things that drives me nuts with these young kids in sports that I think also really very much applies to people in life is you know what you have to do to get better at whatever area of life you suck at and that you consistently say you suck at and yet you don't go and do it, right? And that's my biggest issue with all of the mental health craze and, and nonsense that we see today. Not all of it's nonsense, but of the mental health content and ideas that we see that are nonsense, 
that's one of the biggest issues is there's a lot of practical shit that that is very obvious and true that helps to improve one's mental health, like fitness, like your nutrition, like having a spiritual life, that in our secular accept yourself or whoever you are world, we tell people the opposite. We say if, if, if you feel bad about being fat, that's just because of fat phobia. If you are uh, struggling with your identity, like push into the, the dysphoria, right? Don't pull back and try to like set yourself in reality. Push into the dysphoria. Don't have a religious life. Like that is stupid and, and patriarchal and, and bad for you, right? Don't, don't get married and have children. That's bad for you. Like everything that the world suggests is the opposite of what will help me- your mental health. And so it's crazy how it's all cyclical on the opposite side, right? The opposite of excellence is also true. That when you, you know, when you have discipline in one area of life, you improve your discipline in all areas of life. When you have discipline, when you have the opposite of discipline, right? When you are uncontrolled, um, you you lose control in almost all areas of your life. It's it's amazing how when you lose control, when you lo- lose delayed gratification, when you lose um, that discipline, um, you can fall into pornography excessive and and reckless spending, overeating, not working out, right? Staying up too late and watching too much TV, staying, you know, binging and and spending time with friends who are bad for you, right? Like there's so many things that you kind of lose control of. But going back to this, she talks about how it's not overnight. It's not an overnight change to switch from a fixed to a growth mindset. And here's what she says. No, it means that change isn't like surgery. Even when you change, the old beliefs aren't just removed like a worn out hip or knee and replaced with better ones. Instead, the new beliefs take their place alongside the old ones, and as they become stronger, they give you a different way to think, feel, and act. So I love that. I think that's really important for us to uh, understand and recognize that this is not going to be an overnight success, right? Like you're not going to live your entire life with a fixed mindset, which you very well may have gotten from your parents and coaches and other people in your life. I had it all the time growing up, especially when I was acting up. And being bad, like people really tell you, you know what I mean? They don't say you're acting bad. It's that you are bad, right? You are a bad student. You are bad at math. Those things are limiting beliefs and they're fixed mindsets. And so we have to break away from that. And that's going to take you time. Now, one thing that can be really helpful in that is is proving to yourself that you can improve in something. So for me, one thing that really changed in my life when I was around 21, 22 was I started to read on a regular basis. And at first it was like pulling teeth and it was like making a fat guy go to the gym, right? Or give up sweets. But eventually I fell in love with it and I love reading now. And I wish I could read more every single day. I wish I had an extra two hours to read. One of my biggest desires for going full time in podcasting someday would just be how much time I'd have to study and read things. Because I just, it's like my favorite thing to do. Watching educational and informative YouTube videos or videos or documentaries and things like that and reading. I love learning new things. Um, one, one of the main reasons for that is I hate being dumb. I feel like I was raised around a good number of people who really didn't take education seriously. I had one particular uh, family member um, who really prided himself on reading everything that was like set before him. And what I came to realize over time is I was like, man, if this guy reads so much and he's so smart, why is his life a mess? You know, divorced several times, broke now in his, his older years. Not, not a good relationship with his kids, um, not really successful professionally. Every area of excellence, you know, struggled with overweight most of his life, like adult life, at least that I knew. What it, what were you reading, right? And it's like reading the newspaper and getting sucked into like local news and, and other, other things like that. But it's like, but no books. Over time, I came to realize like despite the bragging of reading, like almost no books were ever read. And that's when I started to realize, like, I don't, wa- I don't want to be dumb. I especially, I, even more than I don't want to be dumb, even more than I want to be intelligent, I want to be wise, right? And so that was something that really started to, to strike me when I was going through my conversion when I was in college. And I'm starting to read Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic, some basic Catholic books. I'm starting to pray more, starting to attend conferences and retreats. And really starting to, to ponder and think about my life, right? And starting to pursue excellence in the classroom, in ROTC, on the basketball court, um, in my spiritual life, in Bible study, in my leadership. I started to go home and you get around people and you start to see, like, especially as I was graduating from college, 
all these people in their 40s, 50s, 60s telling me, man, I wish I wish I was like you when I was your age, right? I wish I was as driven. I wish I was into my faith. I wish I took these things as seriously as you do. And you start to get that, you know, it, it, was, the, it was that constant theme, which really is, is kind of a driving force behind Seeking Excellence as well, is that phrase that I'm sure you've heard before, many people utter on their deathbed, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I wanted to figure out what is it that people, when they're on their deathbed, when they're 80, 70, 60 years old, when they say, I wish I knew then what I know now, what, what is it that they wish they knew? And can I seek that out and find it and apply it to my life in my 20s? I wanted to know that. And so that took me, I had to learn a lot because I didn't have any single person in my life I could point to as a role model in all these different areas of life. There were different people, yeah, that I could point to that were in better physical shape than me, that were further along spiritually, that were more financially successful. But I didn't really have anybody that I could look to and be like, yes, this person is well-rounded and I want to be like them, even in 80%. Like, obviously, not everybody's going to be your exact hero, but even in, in several of them, right? It's like, I can't find that person. And so I had to go out and seek distance mentors in all these different areas. And so that's something that's really important, I think, to me when it comes to lifelong learning and a great way to evaluate yourself is to say, hey, do I have mentors and, 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 and guidance um, coaches in these different areas of life, in these different pillars, right? So for me, I have people who I know on a personal level that I've accumulated throughout the years that can help me professionally, in my fatherhood, in my husband, you know, in being in my marriage, when it comes to mental toughness, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to um, financial stuff, social issues, right? But more, almost more importantly, or as important, or a great substitute when you're lacking those things, is having what I call kind of your distance distance mentors. Um, Napoleon Hill in, in uh, Think and Grow Rich calls them his board of directors. And so what he would talk about is he would have a board of directors of men who he's great men in the past. He, I think men because he's a man. I don't know. He might have had women. I don't think so. But um, <clears throat> great men of the past whose autobiographies and writings and things you've read and listened to. And you basically, he, what he would do is he would imagine himself in a room and bringing his problems to them and thinking about what their perspective would be on his issues. Now, what I like to do, what I've kind of turned that into in my own life is saying, okay, I might not have these gurus and people who can help me with these different things, but I know if I need a dose of mental toughness, I'm going to Jocko or David Goggins. I know if I need a, a dose of mental health, that I can go to Dr. Greg Bataro, right? Um, and think of other great Catholic mental health people and Hallow, right? I use Hallow for that in our mental health section. I know if I need a dose of fitness, um, Goggins is another great example of that, or like people like Rich Froning and Matt Frazier and different athletes that I've really admired and looked up to. If I'm going to financial stuff, then I know I have my go-to guys at like Bigger Pockets podcast. I have Dave Ramsey. I have uh, Grant Cardone, um, sales kind of Grant Cardone, Gary Vee on like the social media side, right? So I can think of like all these experts who I've consumed, man, tons and tons of their content through reading and listening and watching videos. And I have these go-tos, spiritual side, Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Barron. Um, I listen to a lot of Trent Horn, uh, Matt Frad and his podcast, right? So you can have these people who many of them I've never met or come close to meeting in my life. On the political side, you've got the Daily Wire guys, Jordan Peterson. Um, I listen to Dave Rubin, right? Like you have people that you can go to on certain issues and certain topics to be formed. And you know that you can trust them, right? Dennis Prager. Um, you obviously can't have all these people in your back pocket, right? And be able to text them and talk with them all the time. But that doesn't mean you can't start to accumulate and have a source, uh, you know, a library of people you can go to for formation and motivation when you need to grow in these specific areas. And so being a lifelong learner, that's a commitment that you make. Are you somebody, are you going to be stuck in where you are? Are you going to be dumb for the rest of your life? Or are you willing to say, okay, I want to continue to exercise my mind and grow in wisdom and knowledge? Right. And the wisdom thing is really big because this this really hit me when I read um, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. 
And then uh, subsequently read Father by God by John Eldridge, where he goes into briefly and wild at heart and deeply in Father by God, he talks about the six stages of a man's life. And those are, if I'm not mistaken, boyhood, cowboy, warrior, lover, king, and sage. And I thought about the sage stage where he's basically saying that you are a wise old man who has basically crushed all those other areas of life, all those other stages. And you're guiding, you know, the kings, the lovers, the warriors along their path, right? Throughout the process, you can guide the, the boys and the cowboys, and you know what I mean? The guys who are in the younger stages. But the sage is really meant to be there for like the, the people in that king stage, right? The men who are like 40 to 60. This is when you're in your 60 to 80s uh, range, kind of. And you're supposed to have the wisdom of how do we actually live a good life. And I read a lot of these books and I hear a lot of these men talk to these older wise men that they get this great advice from. And a lot of them aren't big speakers or well-known people, but they have wisdom that he's developed over years of prayer, intentional living, and sacrifice, and just, you know, wins and losses that they've accumulated over time. And that's what I want to be. I, I, I mean, I'm working towards one of my heroes, obviously, in many ways, you've heard me talk about him many times before, is Jordan Peterson. And I, I'm like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to, when I'm 60 years old, like he is, I want to be able to, I think he's almost six. I can't remember his exact age. I want to be able to go on a lecture tour and speak for an hour with no notes or anything and just talk about a topic in a deep and profound way. And that's what he does. And I got to see him do it in person last year. And it was awesome. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want to be able to do. And that takes a really, really long time. And podcasting has been a huge help in me being able to do that. Um, and me being able to have deep and profound answers to people's questions and to be able to provide provoking thoughts. And I'm excited to share those with my kids someday. But this is why we need to have this commitment. It's not just about you. That's another thing that excellence is so important you know, about seeking excellence that's so important to understand that this, this, if this is just about you, you're going to give up and you're going to quit on everything. But if you, if you've been raised by parents who didn't know shit about these seven pillars of life, they really didn't have what it takes. They didn't have the tools necessary to complete the project of making you an outstanding adult. And so you are being built by people who did not have the proper tools. So if you need proper tools to build a house, if you need proper tool, tools to build a car, when you're building and forming a human person, right? Virtues are obviously extremely important. Wisdom is obviously extremely important. And so is knowledge, right? To teach them how to do stuff well. You have to have knowledge and wisdom about what it means to be human, what human excellence is, what it means to be a good person other than just being nice to people, right? And a lot of us didn't get taught this stuff. And that's why so many of us are in a mess now in our 20s and 30s. But we have the opportunity to change that. That's what you understand now of understanding the growth mindset. And it's on you. It's your responsibility to learn this shit so you can pass it on to the next generations. So with, with mental health, this is my analogy between the mind and the body. I think your mental health and your physical health are very similar to each other in a couple of ways. In physical health, what we'll talk about as kind of the subcategories are going to be fitness, nutrition, and rest. In a similar way, I think your mental health is basically comprised of fitness, nutrition, and rest. The first two look very different, obviously, when your mind, with your mind compared to your body. In your body, we're talking about physical exercise. We're talking about the things that you eat. In your mind, when it comes to fitness, I think of the, the actual exercise of your body or the exercise of your mind, which to me really comes in two ways. That's through thought-provoking and deep conversation, especially with people who disagree with you, right? So entertaining other thoughts, evaluating them, pondering them, thinking about deep things, as well as kind of solving complex issues. So problem solving, critical thinking. Those, I think, are the two best ways to kind of sharpen your mind. The other thing that really matters is your nutrition, basically your intake. So if you're listening to trash music, if you're watching trash TV constantly, if you're around idiots all the time who talk about nothing but people and you know gossip and um how drunk they were last weekend you're going to be dumb you're going to be a dumb person and you're not going to have wisdom and if you're the wisest person in the room all the time if you're the oh but i'm the mature friend you're dumb you're you're the smartest in a room full of idiots 
Congratulations. I'll write you up a certificate. Shoot me an email at Nathan at those who seek.org. I will write you up a certificate. I'll sign it for you myself. Congratulations on being the smartest idiot. Who get, who cares? If you're around idiots all the time and you feel smart or you're the mature one or you're constantly the friend that is cleaning up your friends who are a mess, stop getting new friends. When people show you who they are, believe them. Let them go and be who they want to be. You give people the opportunity when you decide to make a change in your life. Would you like to come along with me and make these changes with me or no? If they're consistently dragging you down and preventing you from actually making those changes, they got to go. It's that simple. Stop making shit in your life so emotional all the time. It does not have to be this constant, you know, heart-led, excessively compassionate lifestyle that leads to you being just incredibly mediocre. It leads to you being an incredible mediocre parent, friend, spouse. If you ever even get married, if somebody will even marry you in, in that condition. So, so stop it. Stop, stop trying to save everybody in your life and start saving yourself and improving yourself so that you can actually be an effective um, tool in, in the changing of other people's lives, right? If you allow yourself to just become dull for the sake of other people, then you're doing too much and you're not actually effective in doing anything. And I had to realize that in my own life, right? Because there's plenty of people who in my life, in my family, old friendships, that it was like, man, do I stay around here? Do I stay in Harrisburg and try to save everybody and try to go back and share some of the wisdom that I've learned through my faith and all these other things? And I was like, no, I still have. It was it was arrogance to even consider it, to even think that I had the resilience to remain who I was and to continue, not just remain who I was, like I was I was nothing then, but to, to think that I was good enough where I was, first of all, is arrogance. And two, to think that then I was at the place where I could maintain who I was even. Even the low level of progress that I had made, even thinking that I can maintain that around people who were totally going against that, it's foolish, man. It's foolish. It's foolish to think you're going to be the first person ever that's going to be a saint without having holy friends. It's foolish to think you're going to be the first person that's going to be a saint without having a prayer life. It's foolish to think you're the first person that's going to live an excellent life with with friends who suck. It doesn't make any sense. And so you have to be mindful of what you're putting into your mind. That comes through your music, through the friends and people you're listening to, through the TV that you watch, through the news that you listen to. And you have to be mindful of that stuff. Then the other aspect I think that's really big in health and your physical health is your immune system. So very, this is a great analogy, I think. Similar to how your immune system works, we saw this a lot with the uh, great pandemic of 2020. That we didn't have a trust in our immune system. Not only do we not have a trust in our immune system, but we also weakened our immune system through the things that we consume, through our nutrition and our lack of exercise. So poor nutrition and no exercise leads to a weak immune system. And then we have this huge desire to inject ourselves with things, to take pills and, and, and pump up big pharma for to do a job that our immune system that God created and gave us can oftentimes naturally do itself. So your immune system wards off and fights off disease and sickness. I also think you have an immune system in your mental health. And that is your mental toughness. I think that mental toughness is what's meant to be your immune system for your mental health. So in in, in a similar way, in, in taking on that analogy again, transferring it over, If you have bad nutrition, if what you're taking in and listening to and watching and spending time with, the people you're spending time with suck, then your mental toughness is going to suck. If you don't exercise, if you're not learning, reading, listening to challenging things, having good, deep, challenging conversations, embracing and solving problems, critically thinking, you're also going to have a bad mental immune system. Now, this analogy, just like in your physical health, you can go too far with trusting your immune system. There are extreme cases where you need, um, you know, I took antibiotics in the fall. I had a really, really bad sinus infection. It lasted for over a week. And I was like, I'm just going to go get these antibiotics. I'm not a fool, no medicine guy. I'm grateful for modern medicine. There's times where you go to the doctor. But I'm not trying to be on pills all year round all the time. I'm not trying to just get jabs for things that I know my immune system can beat. In a similar way, there's people who really struggle with chemical imbalances in depression, anxiety, or whatever, and they need to take pills. 
those people are few and far between, in my humble opinion. The radical increase in mental health drugs that we've seen in our country, it's unreal. It's unreal. It's the, it's the quick, immediate fix anytime something's going wrong, right? We take things like hormonal birth control that are known to have depression as a side effect, and then you get on a depre- antidepressant pill as well while you're on birth control. I mean, big, you lose and big pharma wins. That's almost always how it goes when you take medicine. Think of all these people who have died suddenly because of taking experimental shots over the last couple of years. Young, healthy people. You lose and big pharma wins. And what do you gain? You don't gain anything. In a similar way, I think that's true also with um, yeah, when you, when you overtake uh, mental health drugs. And so I'm trying to look here to see if I can find something that says um, something about use of mental health medications. I would love to know like over the last 60 years. Maybe I'll have to look that up in uh, – Yeah, that's going to take me some time. So I'll have to find that another time. But that's, that's what I think is really important. So mental toughness, what is mental toughness really? Um, you know, I think about my time when I was in ranger school. And there's a sign when you go into ranger school that says, not for the weak or faint-hearted. And I think, you know, we've lost, because of this increase, and I think this has been pushed, uh, you know, by, by Big Pharma to normalize taking mental health medication anytime you feel sad. Anytime you're worried about things, um, ignoring the fact that humans throughout your cycle of your life are going to go through depression and anxiety at varying levels um, throughout your life. It's always going to happen. What's never suggested or what's seldom suggested is what I said earlier, the things that you know are good for you. Stop listening to bullshit. Stop listening to sad music. Get out and get some sunlight. Get some exercise. Eat well. Let's look at your nutrition. Let's look at your spiritual life. How are you actually living? Let's look at your relationships. Are you with somebody that's terrible for you, right? How mentally tough are you? Let's challenge yourself to do some hard things to show you you can overcome and deal with hard things in life. Let's get your budget together because you're overspending and you're all out of whack and you don't know what you're doing with your money and that's leading to you being extremely anxious. Yeah, that's never suggested. What is suggested? Oh, I have a, well, get you some medicine. We'll get you a pill because the doctor gets some kickback. Big pharma wins, you lose. So we lost this because of the we normal we've normalized weakness. This is why you see on college campuses nowadays and in workplaces, you have safe spaces, you have the idea that words are violence because people can't take it. People are so mentally weak, they're so emotionally weak and so emotionally fraught that any push, any nudge, anything that happens to them, they're just immediately sick and triggered. And they're in physical pain. Right. So they have no toughness. This has been the result of our society. And it's it's good to call that out. It's good to root that out in yourself and to recognize that, yes, you can go too far with it. We've had generations in the past that went way too far, mental toughness, um, that that became unloving and cold people. But now can we start to recognize as a church, hey, we're we're on the other extreme. So buck up a little bit, right? Stop being such a hoe. You can, you're, you're a man. You're a woman. You're an adult human being. You have the power and grace of Jesus Christ. You are rooted in God's family through your baptism. You're confirmed and receive the graces and the gifts of the Holy Spirit through your confirmation. You get to receive confession literally whenever your ass wants to. And you can receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Eucharist every single day if you choose. Right? So... So you got that going for you, which is pretty nice. You also have probably friends and family who love you. You've got air conditioning and heat. You've got food in your kitchen. You've got money in your wallet or in your bank account. Yeah, shit kind of sucks at your job. Do you have to be sad all the time because of that? Is that what you have to entirely focus your life on? Or can we kind of get it together a little bit and and figure out a way that we can maybe solve those problems and move on, right? So think about that. We have to start to understand that, like, as Catholics, I've often thought of us very similar. We're the church militant, right? And I think we're very much like the Army, where you have people who are cooks and you have people who are Special Forces Green Berets, right? You've got the most badass to the least badass, right? The finance guys all the way up to the Rangers. 
And I've always wanted to be, I want to be, uh, metaphorically speaking, you know, a ranger, a Navy SEAL, like a, a badass in the church. I don't want to be this soft kind of victim mentality having weak person who can't do anything. Excuse me. I just sneezed. Who can't take anything, right? Who can't take any hardship. You, you're going to fold immediately. Should we ever actually face actual hardship? Like many of our spiritual ancestors, like many of the martyrs and the saints before us have faced, you'd fold immediately. So you have to start to, to, to change your perspective of what's really hard, right? And look at people and understand that people are truly suffering. There's people who are going through, incre- there's kids right now going through chemotherapy. There's kind of being like your parents, right? There's kids starving in Africa. Like the stuff we're afraid of and worried about is just so often bullshit. I, I get so frustrated, especially with when it comes to anxiety. With a lot of Catholics who I know or have known throughout the years who have normalized being anxious. This is especially true amongst women. Where it's like, yeah, I'm just anxious, or yeah, I just, you know, I just worry. And I've had women in my family be like this, friends, moms, um, women I know my age. You know, I just worry. It's what I do. Moms worry. It's like anxiety is not a, not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace is. So you 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 make that make sense to me, right? Like you do this math. I'm not I'm not making a judgment on you. I'm not claiming anything myself. I'm telling you that of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Anxiety, worrying, high blood pressure, like those are not. So do you think that you, oh, mom's worry. I'm anxious all the time. I'm I'm always worried about you. Who's that coming from? I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about me enough that you don't have to worry about me. And I'm not anxiously worried about me, but I'm taking care of, I'm, I got my shit under control, right? So what, where, where does that come from? The Holy Spirit or, or further south? Talk to me. It doesn't make any damn sense. So thinking about what does it mean to be mentally healthy? Your spiritual life is going to be a big part of that. Your financial soundness is going to be a big part of that, right? Um, your, your physical health, your nutrition is going to be a big part of that. Um, and then obviously you having mental toughness and, and challenging and growing and, and strengthening your mind is going to be a really, really huge part of that. I always like to say you have to have, to me, I, I talk about this and maybe this is kind of leading into next week's and the emotional excellence piece. To me, your mind is the place where I believe you should be able to have what I call the ACP of the heart, which is your access control point. So any military base you come up to, right, you have to show your ID. Uh, if you're not in the military, you have to like sign in as a guest. But those get really strict the more uh, security threats that are around them, right? Think about getting into the White House or if you're deployed and you're trying to get onto like a military base, it's very strict to get on, right? There's different inspections and all this kind of stuff. Your mind is supposed to be that kind of waiting room for shit before it gets to your heart. So you are, I, I can't stand people who, and this used to be me. This is why it makes me so mad. And I was kind of, raised around some people who were like this every now and then or often. Um, But I can't stand, especially men. I think if you're a grown ass man and and you're this emotionally manipulated by external things, you're kind of a hoe. Um, But I can't stand to see people who have no, have, have no barrier between hearing things, hearing ideas, and they're just immediately outraged and emotionally triggered. That's what progressive 19 year olds do. They hear the word Trump and they just, you know, the leftist tears uh, compilations you see on YouTube, or if you don't see those because you're a normal person, unlike me, that enjoys watching people scream and weep over very, very silly things <laughs> that, that maybe you've never seen it. But you see the people who are just like screaming, they become memes, right? Because they just, these leftists that just make videos of themselves in their cars screaming and crying about Roe v. Wade being overturned or Trump getting elected or whatever it is. Like there are grown men, conservative men who are the exact same way, just just triggered by different things. Nobody should be able to get to you that easy, right? That's that's something that you learn about, and that's that's part of being drilled in basic training in Ranger School and other high 
intensity military training environments is you're going to get screamed at. You're going to get cussed at. And you're supposed to keep your head and stay calm. That's how you develop that access control point, right? Over time, you start to say, okay, I'm hearing ideas. Even, even it could be your wife, right? Your, your husband. Some, like Occasionally, you guys are going to fight. She might have a bad attitude every now and then or whatever it is or say something that I really don't like. Can I take that in and take a moment and say, okay, this doesn't have to go straight to my heart and enrage me. And then you can also have the, the discipline and control that even if your heart, um, this comes from uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva, the way. I've always loved this quote. He said, and, and it actually is a requote from another saint, but I can't remember what saint. But he said, I, uh, I've made my pact, excuse me, my tongue has made a pact with my heart. Or I made a pact with my tongue to never speak when my heart is troubled. That's how it goes. Let me say it again, because I just utterly butchered that, and I just offended two saints. I made a pact with my tongue to never speak when my heart is troubled. So that's two lines of defense. Because it basically has to go into your ears, down to your heart, piss you off, and then comes back up, and you still have to like express that. So I try to keep it so that I don't get emotionally charged just when I read things or hear things or somebody says something to me or there's a situation that I don't like, which is really good, especially as a man when you're talking about protecting and providing. Because in, in stressful or difficult or dangerous situations, you want to keep your head. You don't want to lose your shit. That does not help you, right? The adrenaline can help you, but you losing your mind and being flustered and frustrated and anxious and scared is of no benefit, right? So once you start to learn that like fear is not helpful, you try to you definitely want to overcome it, but you, you try to avoid it as best you can, right? And you can't always avoid being fearful and courage is overcoming that fear when it's present. But you can start to control the, your external experiences from your internal peace, right? And the like, saints are the best example of that. That's why they went joyful and singing to the guillotine, right, to their death. Holiness, that's a fruit of holiness. Peace is a fruit of holiness. So even when things are hectic and chaotic around you, you still can have the fruits of the Holy Spirit even in the midst of that. So think about that. What does it mean to be mentally healthy? What does your mental toughness look like? How would you grade yourself currently on your mental toughness? All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up here and talk a little about what I consider, you know, some of the standards that we should have for ourselves when it comes to mental excellence. Obviously, you know, with with the mental one, I think it's a little bit more difficult to be very... Some of these, you know, different pillars are going to have different kind of um, criteria, right? Some are very easy to check off. Some are not. The easiest one I think to check off for me when it comes to mental excellence is reading or at least learning. So uh, we're going to do a whole episode on this sometime, uh, me and Emily, but we have our weekly board meetings, which is when we come together and we evaluate ourselves, we evaluate our relationship, and we think about the task and kind of plan the upcoming week. We pick prayer intentions for the week. We pick... um uh, we talk about like the events that are coming up and then we talk about like our tasks and our kind of to-do list for the week. And it's great for accountability, but it also creates a space for us to talk about issues or problems that we're having personally or within the relationship. And one thing we do is we grade ourselves on different areas of excellence. You don't need to do all seven pillars every week, right? But we do grade ourselves on mental excellence. And my main thing is like, did I was I a learner this was I an active learner this past week? That's kind of my main way of gauging that. Now, I personally don't believe that nobody, I personally don't believe that anybody should read zero books a year. There were a bunch and why I don't buy this bullshit from a lot of people who are like, oh, I just hate reading. I just can't read. I did too. I used to be embarrassed. Like in high school, SATs, like some of these standardized tests. Dude, when we had to do reading comprehension, like I was trash, like not decent. I was trash. I would read the paragraph on one side of the page, go to the questions on the next side of the page, and I couldn't remember reading about the characters or the people or the things that they asked about in the questions. I'd be like, was that in there? I would have to read it several times. I was really, really bad. And I had no interest in reading, mostly because I was so bad at it. But this is part of the reason why I don't really buy this. I don't really buy this concept that it's like you just aren't uh, a reader. I think we should all be readers. Just like you kind of have to do it in school, right? Now, because of that, I'm going to put the, and this is kind of, you know, you have to create your own goals and your own things. I think kind of the standard is at least a book a month. If you read 10 pages a day, you're reading 30 pages a month. It gives you a few days to miss. 
average book is somewhere between 200, 300 pages. Um, you're going to finish a book a month. The excellence goal, I think, is to shoot for 24, double that, two books a month. Now, if you want to do some recreational reading, if you want to read what I consider bullshit and what bullshit would entail is like, um, you want to read uh, Harry Potter books or you want to read other like stupid like entertainment novels, right? There, if you're talking about reading the classics and you're reading novels, that's different, right? If you're talking about reading like um, some of these more classic books, right? If you're reading To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that, I'm not going to call that BS. Um, but if you're reading like a Tom Clancy book or something like that, like that's entertainment, that's a side. That does not count because that's not contributing towards your excellence. So ideally, what I like to read is something that's actively making me better in one of the seven pillars. So you can read about the faith, you can read about politics, you can read about social issues, you can read about parenting, you can read about relationships, marriage stuff. You can read about psychology, philosophy, um, health, fitness, all that kind of stuff. Every, all of that counts. BS is anything that's totally outside of any of those categories that's purely for entertainment. Um, so that's one of the big ones. I think is that's the most like market key. Like when I'm at the end of the week and we're doing our board meeting, I'm like, okay, did I read this week? My second kind of analysis with that is, like I said, the question is really, am I, did I learn? Was I an active learner this week? So some weeks I've read less, but I've listened to more audiobooks. I've listened to more podcasts that are actually helpful. Um, or I've watched more like instructional YouTube videos or like masterclass kind of stuff on like economics or um, Daily Wire, um, uh, like documentaries and things like that, right? So like, do I feel like at the end of the week, like I actually learn things. I have things to talk about with people, right? Other than just sports and the weather. Um, obviously having a growth mindset, that's a little bit bigger and, and, you know, spans more than just a week at a time, but having a growth mindset is definitely part of mental excellence and then being mentally tough. And so a great way to gauge that, you know, whether or not you're mentally soft. And so doing things like Exodus 90, which, uh, if I'm on schedule with everything kicks off today. Um, so look into that if you haven't before doing things like Exodus 90, just committing to taking cold showers, fasting, um, signing up, going out and running in the cold, right? Signing up and joining a sports league that helps keep you competitive and active and, and helps to feed that dog in you. Um, and then you've got um, mental health uh, in general, right? So what are you feeding into your mind? Um, obviously, those are people who are pursuing mental excellence do not put bull crap into their mind. They don't listen to, you're not just constantly listening to trash music. You're not watching BS, trashy TV. Sure, you can have your guilty pleasures. Sure, you can still listen to hip-hop when you're working out, in my opinion. Um, but you want to be careful with that stuff and, and really stay away from the really raunchy stuff. And um, yeah, we're all, all going to have kind of guilty pleasure TV and stuff like that. But there's certain, there's certain lines where you have to call it. If it's actively making you a worse person, it's affecting your mental health especially, especially, especially affecting your spiritual health, it's time to cut it out. And so think about those. What are your, what are your, what are your guidelines? What are you, what are you going to set for yourself, right? So these are my standards. These are what I recommend for a life of seeking excellence, but you have to have some for yourself. The answer can't be zero if you're going to stick around, right? You can do what you want with your life, obviously, but you're not going to be able to tell me you're seeking excellence in your life. If you're like, yeah, I read zero books per year. I don't learn anything. I have a fixed mindset. And mental health is me just popping a pill every morning. Well, brother, you're seeking mediocrity. So, um, so there's that. Uh, but yeah, so think about those things. Lastly, I just want to close with this. I want to invite you, as you know, if you listen to last week's episode, as I told you to do first when we started this one, we have started a locals page. And what the goal of the locals page is, is to help pay the people who help me with this podcast, with producing it, with social media things as well as get to the point where we can start to pay guests. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is create a studio where we can have better content, better quality, audio quality, better audio quality with guests, better um, video quality, especially. I'm saving up and trying to buy a camera um, so we can start being more present on YouTube and other video outlets. And so your contribution, your monthly contribution to the Locals page helps to support that. Now, I want to do Locals instead of a GoFundMe or something because I don't want to be a lazy ass and I want to give you something for the money that you give me. So when you join Locals, you're joining our community, right? And so the, it'll be linked below um, on how you can get there. But when you join Locals, you're joining our community. So we're going to have exclusive like community chats. And a lot of the, basically my plan is to take a lot of the things, if you follow me on Instagram, where you're used to seeing me rant and 
uh, bring up topics and discussions on things from dating to politics to all these types of different issues. That's what I'm going to bring up uh, and go deeper in in locals. And I'm doing Exodus 90 this year. And similar to when I did Exodus 90 in 2020, that kind of kicked all the Seeking Excellence stuff off. I'm going to be doing weekly kind of journals, kind of reflections, right? Like little mini blogs. Um, And you can find those at seekingexcellence.locals.com. And that is where I will be uploading those and exclusively sharing those there. Um, My thoughts, my reflections, and my writing. So I want to get into writing more often. And just like everything we're doing. The other thing that's going to happen exclusively on Locals is going to be the weekly roundup. So I'll be live streaming every Friday morning, going through our weekly roundup of, you know, what kind of happened that week, what are the major kind of news events from the week, um, and what's kind of going on in the world, the church world, politics, the social stuff, and kind of giving some thoughts and reflections on those, as well as any thoughts and reflections I've had from the week, kind of spanning also kind of kicking off from the uh, the uh, reflections that I'll be writing. So I want to encourage you to join those. You can join for as low as $10. Um, you can give as much as you want each month. You can make a one-time gift for one month. Anything you do will go directly towards helping us to share this message towards marketing and developing the brand of Seeking Excellence so we can help more people to escape the lives of mediocrity that the world has convinced them to live. And so God bless you. Continue to fight hard to be your best, and I will see you here next week. God bless.